This week on Crime World... There was a Republican police from 1920. I mean, the IRA was effectively trying to run an underground government. And actually, there was a crime wave. 1919-1920, there's a wave of bank robberies, post office robberies, robberies of individuals, robberies of pubs in Dublin and in rural areas as well. So the IRA tried to actually clamp down on that. They, on occasion, solving bank robberies and giving the money back to the banks. Now, I'm Nicola Talent, and you can listen to my podcast, Crime World, wherever you get your podcasts. Shachtan, an Indo Askeliga. Time in Mon Europe, the end of Chacht Erechor. Agasuligum, a Makan Shah, Gurfeder Echor, Inuik Kart, Len of Winterfein. Skilti, Fis, Turmi. Tashe Dochretche, Nach Vetoch, Ara, Igornamion, on Kestin Echol. Vientalam Aginom Griv, Orkar Nrachtum. Find us on all the usual podcast platforms. This week on the Indo Daily. I actually don't believe, right, that priests said or have any harm. It just like thought I knew. But that's how I found that Miriam Martina was dead. How likely is it that Trump will be found guilty of paying hush money to former adult film star Stormy Daniels? We're talking about involvement in serious drugs activity on both sides of the border and as well as that, the procurement of weapons. Find and follow us at all the usual spots and over on the Irish Independent website. This is an Irish Independent podcast. The return of European action is just around the corner and that means it is time for yet another bumper left-wing European preview. Will Slattery here with you and I'm delighted to be joined by Luke Fitzgerald and Rory O'Connor to pick through all the major talking points ahead of the big Champions Cup kickoff on Friday evening. And Rod, you know, we've talked a bit about this kind of here and there over the last couple of weeks ahead of the start of the tournament. Obviously, post-World Cup, it was maybe a little tough to get back into the club game right away. But I think the URC has whetted the appetite nicely with some really entertaining derbies. But I just, what, what's your kind of excitement levels, your interest levels for the Champions Cup in 2023, where it sits in the landscape? And what do you think the general interest is among people as we go into another year of it? Um, it's a good question, Will. It's like, I think there's two factors. I think the URC has improved to a point where you're not going up in the same way as you did before. So that week on week, URC, partly because it's on free air, partly because it's been very good, I think, this season. You don't need the European thing to kind of get it serious. It's already it's already been serious the last couple of weeks. And it, I think when, you know, when Luke was playing, it, you know, 10, you know, at the start of the European Cup or when the Magnus League or the Rabo Direct Pro 12 and all these sort of these different competitions that we had, Europe was definitely a, like a serious jump up, like way closer to international than, than your week to week. And, and the... And you could you could feel it every time. I think a combination of the URC getting better and the Champions Cup pool stages being diminished has meant that this does not feel. I think this year certainly maybe it's because of the World Cup as well as big, albeit Leinster La Rochelle gives it a lovely focus and it, and it's a great way to kick off the competition. A, a choice that the EPCR, I think, it's driven by the French clubs have made is that they're basically this tournament's all about the knockout stages now. That that it, because they have a round of sixteen, they have fewer pool matches. The competition really gets underway properly in April. 
when the Six Nations is over, the clubs have full focus on their players and we'll see four rounds of high quality, good stuff and it's knockout rugby and it's really exciting. And they've kind of sacrificed the pool stages for that, I think. And, and the fact that Leinster play La Rochelle in La Rochelle this weekend but don't get them welcomed them back to Dublin later on in the pool stages diminishes, I think, that maybe that game is not a good example because that game stands alone because it's a rematch of the final. But even Munster going, to, like Bayonne are going to send over their second string this weekend. Munster going to Bayonne in a couple of weeks will be a really good fixture. Bayonne have built something really special in, in France, their home ground, their anthem. It will be a class away trip for Munster fans. They're going to Toulon, which again is cool in its own right, but Toulon don't get to come to Munster. So it, basically this is, what they've done is they've made this a points race. What you want to do in the next four games is get good crowds in for financial reasons, have decent matches, but get as many points as you can out of those matches and, and obviously qualify. And, and the final weekend, we will see uh, like that, that, that element come into it. But because you're not playing against one of the other teams from your pool and you're only playing home games against some teams, like Leinster have to go to La Rochelle, but one of the rival teams don't, which just diminishes the, the thing, like, I, I think, a little bit. But... The end result is a very good knockout stages, and we won't be thinking about that come April. But I, I, I like the old format. I like the home and away at Christmas. Um, I, th- I, you know, the back to backs. I thought that was a really, really good element, and that's gone. And that, I, it's kind of hard to sell it, not sell it, but it's hard to build anticipation around certain games because they're basically once off tests against a team, and then you're on to the next one, and whoever's at the top is at the top. And I, I think the pool stage has been diminished, but I do think the knockouts will be excellent when they come around. Yeah, a few things to what you said there. Like the, the format this year has changed again. It's four groups of six teams, two teams from each of the three leagues are in a group and you play every team in your group not from your league. So from an Irish perspective, that means you play two matches against a French club. French clubs, one at home and one away is what outlined there. And two against English clubs, one home and one away. And it's funny you said there, you know, they, they you know the knockout rugby and pushing towards that because like the knockouts have been pretty dire the last couple of years. Like, Leinster La Rochelle, so last year there was 15 knockout games, only three were decided by one score. If you go back to the last three seasons of this format, this kind of 24 teams, two big conferences, loads of teams playing each other but not playing each other and being ranked, it's kind of all over the place. There's been 52 knockout games and only 15 have been decided by one score. So that's like less than a third of knockout matches have actually been like competitive and entertaining. So, it's funny if you know they're pushing towards more knockout rugby, but because there's more teams in the tournament than there was previously, and maybe more teams are getting out of the group who don't really deserve it in terms of are they good enough to be playing knockout European rugby? We've gotten a load of mismatches, and I think Leinster La Rochelle has kind of saved the tournament in the last two seasons because the final has been so entertaining and so dramatic. And again, rolling it out week one will get a lot of focus, and it'll probably be a great game and a great spectacle. But maybe it's it's probably papering over the cracks that, as you said, some teams will be sending second strings. Some teams will be going full bore, and we I'll be interested to see how the games play out over the weekend. But I agree, it's been a real mismatch the last couple of years. Like I listened to the chairman of the of the competition, Dominic McKay on BT Sports saying or TNT Sports saying that this was going to be a revamped, you know, format and it'll solve a lot of the ills. Whereas I think people are still scratching their heads and looking at it, being like, I've never seen a tournament roll out in any other sport where you don't play the same teams in a group and then you progress. It's kind of a, a bizarre one. From that perspective, I think they're bringing it in the Champions League actually in a few years' time. So I think soccer fans will get a taste of it as well. But Luke, what's your perspective like in terms of your excitement levels? Where you think the tournament's sitting in the landscape? Your, you know, the pluses, the minuses. You know, what 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 do you make of it all? Yeah, look, to be honest, with you, I still love it. Um, I I do think the the 
it's getting harder and harder to understand the format. It's been a, a bit of a moving process, hasn't it, uh, over the last couple of years? Uh, and I'm not sure it's all really landed. I mean, I used to love that last um, Saturday or Sunday in the groups when you were kind of looking at the table and there was there was people vying to get into that top four for the home for the home quarters, and then you had all the others, all the other movement below. You know, last minute tries and different things um, for people trying to get in that kind of top eight. Um, so I do miss a little bit of that. Uh, and I do think that having kind of smaller numbers does weed out some of the people or some of the teams who aren't as interested in um, in Europe. I always felt like, you know, you got you usually got four really good games after the group stages. Um, what I would say is just in a broader context, I do think the game has suffered a little bit in Europe um, off the back of the English clubs. I think just, you know, falling back quite a bit. Um, you think Exeter probably not the power they were. Uh, Saracens definitely are the power they were, uh, even though they're still you know they're they're stronger again. But um, they've never. I don't think they've got back to the heights of uh, you know they're kind of pre um, pre dropping down the leagues over there. So so I think that's been uh, probably taken a little bit away from the competition. Um, but uh, there still are some 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 great games. You know I think you, you think back to the Munster. The Munster match against Toulouse. I mean, that was in, that was you know an unbelievable game. Obviously, took a lot out of Toulouse for the next week, and that wasn't as competitive as it probably should have been against Leinster. But um, you know, other than that, I still think there's this. I still love this competition. I still think there's there's a future in this competition. Uh, I think there's probably. I still think there's some thinking to do around the format of it. Well, I'm not convinced of it, um, but um, I'll be watching. I mean, I just love these weekends. The European weekends for me are are right up there with. They're not quite a Six Nations, but they're they're pretty close to a big Six Nations match for me. Um, and I think lots of other supporters will be looking forward to it. There's probably a little bit as well, and worth mentioning. <laughs> World Cup didn't end that long ago, you know what I mean? So I don't know whether there is not that there's hangover. There's excitement with that because we get to watch some competitive rugby again with Irish teams, but um, it didn't end that long ago. So it's a strange kind of season as well. So. Um, Probably good to keep that in mind at this point of the competition because I do think this thing will build quite nicely. Yeah, I think they've really suffered from losing that week that they kind of seeded during COVID that dropped it from a nine-match tournament to an eight-match tournament. And that's why we have this kind of strange pool stage and we have an extra knockout round. But they lost two games and they gained one. Like with, with three less English clubs, you would have presumed that they had space in the calendar. Obviously, the French maybe digging in their French league is so lucrative, but they kind of play well into August and finish in June. The idea that they couldn't find one one match day like, is disappointing because it does add a lot to French rugby, I think, as well. We've seen some great moments for the, for their league, even teams that didn't win it, like Claremont and Racing. You know, I, I would love to have seen a compromise reach to go back to maybe a traditional pool stage. Um, and one issue as well, I think, over the last couple of years in terms of tournament is that I do think the big three have pulled away so significantly like Leinster, La Rochelle and Toulouse have been so dominant like they, over the last three seasons again I'll refer to it because it's just period with this kind of newish format they've played 30 games against teams not including the ones they played against each other they've won 29 out of 30 Toulouse lost to Wasps every other game Toulouse, Leinster and La Rochelle have kind of fairly comprehensively most of the time beaten the opposition like do you look at it that way again this year are those three to still by far for me they're head and shoulders still above the rest obviously with Leinster playing La Rochelle in the pool stages it could throw up a different kind of route to the final we might see new teams emerge but in terms of quality when they're full full bore I think they're still the best three by a distance for me I think they are on paper um 
it was funny. I was listening to the BBC podcast, largely to try and get a sense of what everyone's talking about the Owen Farrell issue today. But Danny Kerr was talking about talking to Danny Kerr was on the pitch recently playing for Harlequins against Saracens, and he there was a quiet moment, and he said to Owen Farrell, "God, I'm still in an absolute fog here post World Cup." And Farrell turned to him and said, "Yeah, absolutely, I can't concentrate on what I'm doing here." And it was the first time I really like the. the now, those players didn't get as much of a break after the World Cup as the Irish players who got three weeks. And they actually said, again, on the BBC podcast, that the three weeks is ideal. So the Irish system, again, is probably giving the players what they need. But both Leinster, La Rochelle, sorry, Leinster, La Rochelle and Toulouse are all deeply affected by the World Cup. They, they had a lot of players over there. And both Leinster and La Rochelle, Leinster are top of the URC and are on a six-game unbeaten run. So this may be deeply unfair, but I don't think they've played particularly well this season. Um, La Rochelle have dropped a lot of points. Uh, they won last weekend. They're kind of welcoming players back, but like they, Will Skelton was the Australia captain. He's you know he's the you know he's been Leinster's kryptonite over the years. He's just endured a career low as Australia's captain in France. Um, you know they've given Aldrich time off, so they're affected by it. And then Toulouse, I'm not sure what the situation is with Dupont, whether you know how much he'll play this year. But like Entomac is out. You know, we think for most of the year anyway, because he did his cruise shoot in, in the build-up to the World Cup. So, like, they're all affected massively by the international teams, and that maybe, like Connacht in 2016 in, in the the Pro 12, maybe opens the door for teams who are less affected by the World Cup. And you look at Munster, for example, the URC champions who've just signed a tight head who looks like he fits a lot of the bill of what you need in Europe, who have a bit of confidence, a bit of swagger, need to learn how to defend them all based on Friday night, but have a lot of the ingredients that are there and a really good draw because if you win the URC as Leinster have shown if you win the URC you get a better draw in Europe the following year and as a result Munster have nothing to fear in their pool stages they can get a high seeding they have to go to Toulon even if they win 3-3 three, three, you know pick up a few bonus points and get a decent you know a decent scoreline in, in, in Toulon Munster will be very well placed for the knockout stages and no one will want to go to Thoman Park with Orgy Sliman back on board so there is potential for Munster to kind of go further in this competition than they have done since Johan van Graan's first season, really, which was 2018, I think, when, when they got, or maybe the second season when they, they lost to Racing in the, in the semi-final. So, you know, that's, there's excitement there for Munster. And, and, and I think all the Irish provinces can get to the knockouts. I know Ulster are in a bit of a, Ulster, I don't know where Ulster are, to be honest. And I know Connacht probably don't have the squad to go deep, but they could all get out of their pools. And that's, from our point of view as an Irish podcast, I think we'll have a lot of European rugby to talk about until deep into May. Um, and Leinster should be the favourites. The pressure is on them, really. They, they should win this competition this year. They should have won it last year. They should have won it the year before. They, they blew two finals. There's massive pressure on them. They've lost Sexton. They've lost Lancaster. But they're still the leading lights in this tournament. So I think there's, there is room for others to bridge the gap. And obviously those departures from Leinster may bring them back to the pack. But... They're still the best teams in this over the course of the season, I think, if I'm not contradicting myself too much. Yeah, as you started talking there, I was like, maybe I don't think they'd actually head and show this with the rest. Because as you said, the, the uncertainty with DuPont is a major thing. He, if he doesn't play the knockout stages of the tournament, to lose massively come back into the pack. Like La Rochelle, Leinster, like whoever loses this game, like La Rochelle have a 6 day turnaround to the Stormers and it sounds like the Stormers aren't bringing their key guys to Leicester this weekend. So they could be very well rested in Cape Town the following week. So for La Rochelle, I think it's a massive game, even maybe more so than Leinster this weekend, just in terms of the tournament seeding. And while Leinster, obviously a loss would be a hammer blow psychologically after losing three times to them already, for La Rochelle almost, it's even more vital just in terms of positioning themselves to have another crack at it. You look, how do you assess the top contenders? Like, what do you make of, you know, what Rudd's saying, how he's assessing people? I agree with, with Rudd on Munster. I think their draw and the structure of the tournament means 
they could have two Tomlin Park knockout games potentially if if they can take care of business in the pool stage. Yeah, and you know what I think. Um, the only teams that would be relatively confident going down there would probably be, I would say, La Rochelle and Leinster. I think uh, anyone else, I think, would probably. I think they find it really tough down in Tomlin Park. I think we saw like. I know it's a kind of faster pitch, obviously, in Musgrave, but they played some beautiful rugby. And, um, you know, I think when they, when they, when they get their phase play going, they're quite, they're pretty relentless as well. I mean, Casey drives a really good pace. They've got lots of good carriers. They now have ball, ball carriers in the pack who can pass the ball, who can release. We saw, I mean, even Stephen Archer got in in the act on the weekend, you know, with a lovely pass. So, like, you know, I think they're playing really nice rugby. I think they still have a few bits to tidy up. I think defensively, they were just a few soft tries in the weekend. But, um, you know, and the, and the mall, I mean, Glasgow have been very good in that area, but they shouldn't, been that, they shouldn't be that good. You know what I mean? So there's definitely work to be done there. Um, but yeah, look, I think Muts are in a good place. I think mentally, um, you know, they'll winning something just changes a culture. I, I really, really believe that. I saw that myself in Leinster. Even with all the great players we had, there was just no real belief, I think, um, before we got that league win. So it'd be interesting to see if Munster used that as a platform. And yeah, I mean, Oli Yeager, I mean, the, the area we have picked out has been that front row. Um, I mean, interesting to see if he has a big impact. I like Barron as well. I mean, that was a lovely lovely bit of footwork for that try uh, he got. So yeah, they look pretty dynamic, you know, and um, key guys look settled. It looks to me like they, they've, they've decided to go. I mean, Casey, I think, looks like he's, you know, kind of clear number one now. And he has a way of playing rugby that I really like. I think it's really, it opens up that back line. I, lo- I like Nankavell. And I like, um, um, I, I like that they've kind of, they look settled enough uh, back three-wise to a certain extent. You know what I mean? From a bit of panic, I think, earlier on with Conway and, and, and Earls going. So uh, everything looks to be falling into place in Munster. And I like the coaching staff too. So yeah, in a long-winded way, I do think they're really well set uh, to, to make a bit of a run in this competition. And I think they'll have belief from last year and they'll know that, yes, they're at home, but they can go to tough places and um, in, in, you know, mentally uh, and grind out wins. So they'll be a threat in this competition, no doubt, in my mind. One thing I would love if we could get Munster, La Rochelle in the knockouts in Tomlin Park, like Rogers taking down Lancer, but he hasn't got to go up against Munster yet, which would be, which would be a, a brilliant talking point. Rudd, um, you know, the, I want to talk to you a bit about, it's funny, we, we had a big conversation last week about Kieran Frawley uh, at out half, and then we jokingly said at the end of it that, well, if he doesn't get picked at out half, uh, then obviously this we can just burn this part of the tape. But I actually think it's still relevant because it was a really interesting Definitely. debate that when he didn't start against uh, Connacht at 15. Like, what's your sense about who Leinster are going to pick this weekend? Like, was was it, is it going to be Harry Burns? Is it going to be Kieran Frawley? If it is Kieran Frawley, why didn't he start last weekend? I know he scored the winning try, but he, he barely had touched the ball for most of the game. Like, what's your sense of the whole thing? It's hard to know. I like Denser doing press this afternoon after we record, and Nina is actually up for the first time. Um, so it's going to be a pretty interesting day out in at UCD. So, like, I, I the sense I have with last week was that Harry Byrne was always designated the starter for that game. So Ross started against uh, Leinster, um, and Harry wasn't on the bench. He was twenty third man that day. I think Frawley was covering. Frawley was replacement, wasn't he? They went six two, and they went six two again. But Harry was coming into the team for Connacht, and I, I guess the plan was that Ross comes into the team for La Rochelle this week because he is the first choice. You know when he's fit. I don't like the fact that the designated plan can't be changed. Or, or yeah, that's look, ridiculous. Maybe I'm, that, if that's... maybe I'm being unfair to Leo Cullen, but like Leo Cullen maps this stuff out long in advance. So maybe he'd had a conversation with Harry Byrne saying, "Look." I know you're disappointed not to play against Munster, but you're starting next week. And, and look, Harry Byrne hasn't been bad for Leinster this year. 
maybe Harry Byrne has done enough that he is second in line. But I mean, when Frawley comes on and absolutely, like I thought he was the, one of the best players in the pitch against Munster. I think, you know, he was one of the reasons Leinster won that game. Um, you know, pretty Crowley pretty outshone him a little bit, but not by not by an awful lot. It looked like two really good potential international tens up against each other, and it was one of the reasons you know, I was quite positive coming out of the stadium. And I like the idea of that you reward form and that someone who plays well and is fit the following week and is obviously is fit and available because he's fit enough to start a fullback. Well, then you play him and you find someone else to play fullback. Maybe you play Harry Byrne a fullback. I don't know. Like, you know, you find, I think you'd need to back Frawley if he's going to be playing this week. So if you take Frawley to 15 and he is peripheral figure out in Connacht, I know he scored the winning try, but if you play him this week, then your strategy makes no sense. Like surely the strategy went out the window once Ross Byrne got injured. And it was all open season. So the only thing conclusion I could draw at this point of the week, and we're talking on Tuesday, is that Kieran Frawley is not going to start this weekend. That it's going to be Harry Byrne starting and Frawley in that number twenty-two role in a six-two split because they've gone six-two for the last two weeks in a row. And you know all your Ireland players are going to be back. I don't know if James Lowe is back yet. He's had a bit of time off for personal reasons. He, he, I think he might be back next week for the sale game. But you know, if they were going to play Frawley against La Rochelle. To give him the best preparation for that, they should have started him. And if they start Frawley this week, well, it's a dropping for Harry Byrne, who's surely in pole position. And it also just doesn't, it speaks to a muddle strategy in, in my book. Now, there's a lot of moving parts at Leinster at the moment. They've obviously just lost an iconic figure in Sexton. They've lost their, you know, the guy who they groomed for nearly a decade now to be Sexton's replacement. And they have a new head coach who's just come in, you know, after a couple of weeks in South Africa and has new eyes, fresh eyes on it all. And will I presume you're going to challenge Leo Cullen on all of this sort of stuff. But to me, it, if Byrne doesn't start, then the strategy doesn't make sense. If Byrne does start, then have they picked the right man? Because Crawley looks like the better 10 at this point. Is Byrne confirmed out for, for a long period, guys? That, that, that was one no. question I wanted to ask. I'm not sure they provided clarity on that. There's no way he's back this weekend, no? There is a way, but it didn't look that way. There's there's an injury update. Hey, sorry, I'm, I'm in the same boat as you, uh, Rod. Sorry, that's what I, I'm asking the question because that's the only thing that kind of made. So when I saw the team selection last week, obviously people are, there's been lots of people talking about me banging on about Frawley for a while in all corners of media. Um, I think justified, um, you know, um, you know, based off that performance against Munster and obviously the performances down in New Zealand away from home, like pretty two pretty tough uh, places, you know. Um, but leaving that aside, if you you know, I agree. I think the strategy looks a bit odd. If you're if you're if you're playing him this week, it looks a little bit odd to me to have picked him at 15 last week. Really, really odd. Um, the only thing I can probably come to that only really makes sense is either two things: they're going to play Harry Byrne, or Ross Byrne might be back in time. To my mind, it didn't look like that was going to be the case. Um, you know, once he went off with the, with that uh, bicep injury, and it sounds like that's what everyone else is assuming too. But that is maybe a little wrinkle in that in that theory is that possibly Ross Byrne is back because they provided no clarity on that. Yeah, we should probably explain to the listeners because Leinster are playing on a Sunday, they're doing a media day late on a Tuesday. They always get out on Monday, really, for a Saturday game, and they usually put their. We're recording. It's currently ten past one. They put put out their injury update around now, so I'm keeping an eye on it. Um, but okay. certainly from talking to Robin McBride last weekend, he was speaking very gravely about how difficult it was for Ross Byrne. It didn't sound like it was going to be a one-week injury and it didn't look like a one-weeker either. So, no. But you're right, that made, that would make sense. But if, if we take it that he's out um, and they, they would have known that by the time they made, they picked the team last week, I would I would assume that they're going to stick with the hierarchy and that Harry Byrne is going to play this week unless they felt he didn't go well enough last weekend. Um, 
And like he didn't, he wasn't. It wasn't all bad. Honestly, you'd have to. He has got to start considering what's what's he doing there. What is he like? Is he a Swiss Army knife or is he? You know, you know, has he got a position? I think it's very clear what his position is. He was okay at fullback last week, but he does not have the top end pace to play at an international. You know, fifteen. You know, he's a lovely, he's a lovely ball player. He's a decent tackler. He's a good kicker of the ball. But he has not got the pace to play to be a, a great international fullback. Sorry to be the bearer of bad news, but you just don't. And like he does have all of the attributes to be a top class ten. Like if there was ever a moment, like a light bulb moment for him, if he if he doesn't get selected, sorry, even if he does get selected, it's bizarre that he wouldn't have been playing at ten against Connor to give him a little bit more time. He needs more, he needs time in the pocket now if he's your guy in the big match. I, I just I don't know. I, I'd be. I, I think this if, if there's ever a time to say, God, what am I doing here? Like, what's happening with my career? Like, I do I want to be an Irish international? And and that, now's the time to ask himself the question. I think because I think what was very striking about it was because until the Munster game when he came on after two or three minutes, it was kind of mostly a theoretical conversation. It was oh, I think he has the potential to be such a good out half, but he actually played the entirety basically of that Munster match. And as Rudd said, was one of the best players on the pitch in a Leinster victory. For me, that's the biggest statement that himself or Harry Byrne have made in their careers in terms of playing a big game and leading a team to victory. So we finally kind of got to see him playing out half in a really big game, not getting injured. And then everyone expected him to start against Connacht. I've never seen a team sheet for a kind of a random interpro like that kind of get so much attention. And I knew it was a big deal when I had a voice note from Luke Fitzgerald as well, like a 30-second little snippet uh, giving his opinion. <laughs> <laughs> a little preview of today's podcast. But that was my, that's my thing. is because It was kind of theoretical, his potential, to a degree. We'd seen him sometimes, but not a huge amount because of his injury profile. We actually got to see it. And as you say, that's why I'm so fascinated to see this team sheet on Friday to see... Was it a strategy? Was it just a muddle strategy? Or, or, or is that yeah, and, and look, we'll ask, like Leo Cullen's up today, we'll ask him. Um, I'm sure Neen Arbor will be asked what he thinks as well because it's a big issue. Like, I mean, Sexton, Sexton's absence is definitely going to be felt. They've never won a European Cup without him. So, you know, this is a big decision. It's it, Who is going to be playing 10 come the knockouts is a big, big decision. And, and as Luke said, like, Frawley must be so frustrated because this was an opening for him while Byrne is injured, to go and show them what he can do. And like Andy Farrell clearly thinks he's a 10 and, and wants to pick him at 10. when he like He came off the bench against uh, Italy in the World Cup warm-ups and Jack Crowley shifted to 15. It wasn't Frawley that went to 15. They wanted to see what he had on his, on his international debut. You know, when, when he played against the Maori, he looked like a, a very, very good 10. You know, he's, robust, like he's strong, he's physically strong. He, like, I, I just... Look, I don't want to diminish Harry Byrne because we just haven't seen enough of Harry Byrne. And coaches really rate what he can do, and he has he's got huge potential. But he is twenty four now. Beautiful passer of the ball, isn't he? Oh, he's an incredible passer of the ball. Beautiful, yeah, yeah. He's a lovely like, player. Like, I and like, I think like for 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 Leicester fans to see Harry Byrne and how he would go in La Rochelle would be fascinating as well. But right now, based on what we've seen, Frawley would look like the one they should pick because we've seen more of him and we've seen him shine more. And I think even though Byrne has great moments. I don't think he's put together 80 minutes yet that's, that would say to me that he deserves that slot. Now, maybe he goes... Well, he's ahead of him in the, in the pecking order as well, Rudds. Isn't he? For for Ireland. Like, just just by that virtue alone, you'd think he gets selected. Like, he's got but, a decent age profile. But Leinster, you know I mean? Le, like, Leinster picked Harry ahead of Ross in a European... It was in Montpellier two or three years ago and Harry got injured. So, but Leinster been trying to get Harry... Like, I think in Leinster, Harry is ahead of Frawley and has been for two or three years now at this stage and obviously Prendergast is coming but I think Prendergast is next season really from, from a senior point of view apart, barring 
I don't think he's robust enough or he's not big enough no, yet. He hasn't put enough muscle yeah. on the frame. Yeah. So I think we're looking at three three contenders for that jersey. And I think the Byrne brothers are considered the one and two tens. And Frawley will get that 22 jersey because he covers across the back line. And that's the way he's viewed within Leinster. Now, I would think the Munster game, plus his international exposure, should have clarified that for Leinster, that he, like he is, if not better than both Byrne brothers, certainly right now, He's a stronger and a more experienced operator than Harry Byrne, but they that, that this is their packing order that they've used so far. I, you know, I I don't in, agree with insert it. Insert new information in brain, please. Like, do you know what I mean? That, that's that's what it seems like see, to me. Like, you know, it's like they see training every day. They they know what the potential of players is. They they have them. You know, they they see all that sort of stuff, and and there is more to it than we see. But we can only go on what we see. And I think a player comes on does that well at ten against Munster in a, in a big interpro with the Viva Stadium in front of a sold out crowd. And you've got a big game in two weeks' time. He's he deserves to be backed, and that's how I think selection should work. It shouldn't be work. It shouldn't be a spreadsheet, a pre-planned spreadsheet across. And I, like Luke made the point, and some people might not agree, but like the, the pre-planning last season was one of the things that cost Leinster. Like that Munster game and the decision to go with that team on that day. Like this is all the stuff that gets them through long seasons, and is one of the reasons we're successful. But they got to be in, ruthlessly interrogating whether that's the right thing to do. For them to win but at the end of the season, have they been successful? No, they've won European Cup in ten hard. years. Yeah, but like they haven't won a league either, you know. So in, in, a, in a while, so I don't know. Yeah. I mean, what what are we what are we basing that on? You know, are we basing it on you know everyone getting game time and everyone being happy there and no one wanting to leave, or are we basing it on trophies? Like you know, and I think that's you know, there's a bit of there's a there's a bit of feel to that, which is why I completely agree with you, Rhodes. Like it's you you got to have your finger on the pulse of these things, and you got to be absolutely ruthless and they're they're going about it they're being ruthless in a different way they're being ruthless by giving everyone you know agreed upon chances it looks like and that's not what it's about you know particularly at the end of the season it's not what rugby is there is a feel element you have to like we talk about like watching players and training and that's really really important it's so so important that your training is really top level there's something that's that's not fitting and the most important thing still is that you're a good player in matches. And Frawley is always good in matches to me. He's a good, he's a very, very good rugby player. Like I've, I've been flagging this guy for a while because I don't watch training, but I watch matches and I know what good rugby players are from just playing next to great ones for a long, for a long period of time. I know what a rugby player is. He is a good, good rugby player. Looks like he's a great, great fit for a 10 to my, to, just to my eye. I don't get it. I really, it's kind of an, Obviously, I've been annoyed about it for a while, but I just feel like this is that last weekend was a really weird one for me. I, I just thought that was the perfect opportunity to give the guy the chance, and I just don't know what they're looking at. That's that's what's baffling me. I don't know what they're looking at to make the decision. Is it as we think, probably at this stage, a spreadsheet going? Well, we've agreed to give this guy an opportunity, so this is his game, or is it? Are we are we actually watching the rugby and and have we got a feel for who's going to be good in that position? Because it doesn't make sense to me. Um, and I'm watching rugby a long time. Yeah, as Rudd said, it could be as simple as Leo Cullen thinks Harry Byrne is better, and that's why he picked him, and that's why he might pick him on Friday. And that's why I'm so fascinated to see what is it half twelve or twelve o'clock on Friday when the teams are announced. Like it'll be fascinating to see uh, who gets the ten jersey. Rudd, I want to ask you about another out half. That's Owen Farrell. Saracens, you know, I think they're the fourth favourites after the big three I mentioned earlier. But you know, watching them. Without Owen Farrell, granted, it lose at Hampton or Hampton at the weekend. I think they're a good bit, good bit off what they were. Like, believe in the Paul Amaro, Toje, a lot of their England internationals are playing. They're just not the same players to my mind. But Owen Farrell is the person I want to talk to you about. Obviously, he stepped back from England duties last week. I think it was after we had recorded, so we, we didn't have a chance to talk about it. But like, it's an, 
kind of an unprecedented move to some degree for, for a guy of that stature, the captain of the team, to step away when it's not for rugby reasons. It's kind of the, the mental, I suppose, toll that it's taken the last, particularly, I'd say, the, you know, the red card controversy before the World Cup. Like, what do you make of it all? Yeah, I think I, I heard someone go back to Barry John as an example of a player who was at the top of his game stepping away from from kind of frontline rugby. And I think Barry John was 27 when he when he stepped away from Wales duty in a, in a very, very different era and probably for very different uh, reasons. But like, I think it's one of those moments where we all have to step back and, and, and question, you know, everything that we like, you know, in terms of fans, in terms of media, in terms of pundits talking about these players and how we talk about them and all that sort of stuff. But like, he's not doing this lightly. He's doing this for, he wouldn't do this if he didn't think it was the right thing to do for him and his family. And um, Mark McCall came out quite strongly and criticised the mainstream media for the role in this. So, like, yeah, if you're not listening to that, then you're not doing your, you know, you're, you're, if you if you kind of reject that right away, then you're not doing your job. There's obviously a social media element, and like social media, I think, because of the takeover of of X as it is now, like, is a is an even more toxic place now than it's ever been. Everyone talks about, you know, it being, you know, it needs to get better, but it just only seems to get worse. And even I've kind of backed away from it a little bit in, in recent times, um, and I only get like a you know what what a what a journalist would get compared to what a, a current player would get playing in a World Cup is just a it's a it's a, a fraction a very small tiny fraction in terms of reaction and of the things you say but like from from own Farrell's point of view like he's sacrificing so much here like I know he's not a big guy on the promotional side of things he doesn't he's not a brand ambassador for too many places he doesn't do ads he doesn't do a lot of media that's not what he's losing he's an ultra competitor i think that's what what's clear about him and, and he is the england captain and that is a still a prestigious role um you know he's sacrificing the you know some of the best years certainly a year of his career a six nations a chance to win a six nations potentially you know that's the way he would have looked at it and he's putting his family first putting his own well-being first and like you have to take that seriously um it's unusual i i can't personally put myself in those shoes I, I i i can't um i can't see how i would do it but then i've never been in his shoes i've never had to endure what he i've never been booed by my own fans or had to listen to what he has to listen to or get the messages from family and you go back to what his dad said in the Aviva press room that day when when he said look I, i'll get i'll get his his mother in here and she'll tell you what it's really like and that's what it's i think coming from a lot of the time is that the people around them are suffering and he doesn't feel like it's worth inflicting that on them so it's an eye-opening moment, and like Tom Foley, the TMO from the World Cup finals, has stepped back from international as well, blaming the the abuse he got on social media. So, um, it's pretty alarming, really. You know, it's I think we all have to like look at how we talk about these. I think we're always, to, to the best of our ability, pretty fair, and, and it's all about rugby rather than personal stuff. But, um, you know, you still have to interrogate yourself and what you do. But I think certainly there's people online who 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 could take a look at what they they say and do, and 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 kind of feel like they've played a part in this. Yeah, just just two things to add. Like, you know, that, that that recent red card controversy just before the World Cup where he was banned and then non-banned and all that. I, I don't think I've ever seen such a social media storm in a rugby around one player, like for an on-field kind of thing. Obviously, there's been some off-field things that have generated a lot of discourse, but that really did surprise me that time. I was like, well, like I know it was a controversial moment, but I was I was taken aback by just how much kind of heat he generated for that. And also that... You mentioned they're kind of being booed by his own fans. Like I am surprised. I've always been surprised that he doesn't generate more kind of affection or adoration. Like he is kind of like their Johnny Sexton or whatever. Like I'm not like Johnny Sexton got a big ban for you know cursing out a referee, but it's not as if people fans turned on him over that. Even though it did disrupt Ireland's preparation for the World Cup, it probably contributed to them playing a stronger team against Romania. But we won't go in there. But anyway, 
but Farrell seems to cop a lot of heat from England fans, considering what he's won at club level and international level. It just surprised me as well. Luke, what, what do you think about it? You know, obviously, having been in the kind of cauldron of, you know, top level rugby, you know, what, what do you make of his decision? Ah, uh, yeah, look, look, we, mental health, very, very, like, we're, it's just, we, I think we're understanding more, but also still don't really understand it and can't put yourself in someone's shoes unless, you know, you're, you know, you're, you're, you're walking in them. So, um, yeah, look, it, it's, it, there's a lot of pressure with professional sports. I, I, I think, you know, the social media thing, I'm really finding it hard to see any value for any players being honest. I just think it's become a complete cesspit. Um, I just did a month off myself. It was really, really great. Um, you know, so, um, yeah, I mean, there's definitely something in that. I think, you know, people will, will kind of balk at that and say, well, why can't we kind of partake in what is, you know, a, a kind of, it's a big part of society nowadays in social media. But I just don't think it's worth it for them. You know, I think it seems to be, you know, lots of players seem to struggle with the, with, with getting the information. It seems to be so much more accessible. Like it used to be that you'd wait on a Saturday or Sunday for the paper and, and let roads climb into you. Um, <laughs> and, and that was kind of, that was it. You'd, you'd one dose a week and everyone thought you were a gobshite, but it seemed to end. Whereas it seems to be kind of never ending and you seem to have massive access to the information all the time. And it's not even from someone like, I don't even see, that's probably what I disagree with Mark McCall from. I, I don't even think it's from, um, the you know the information doesn't seem to be coming from just someone like you know yourself, Will or Rudd, who are kind of you know professionals and and generally keep it pretty, you know, for the most part keep it pretty professional, you know, uh, and that's always fine, I think. But it it seems to be coming from all quarters now, and it's nonstop, um, and you don't seem to be able to get away from it. So the only way to really do it is to remove yourself from it completely. Is the solution in my mind, and um, that's very difficult for family members to do that too. But that seems to be what it has to be if you're in a, in, in a big, powerful position. And I would say as well, in Ireland, we have it way, way... Like the, in, in the UK, the press are really, really aggressive over there. I found that on the Lions tour. I just found there was a real difference to how they ask questions and the angles they're taking. You just felt like you had to be always on guard. So I'd imagine England captain is... is uh, Obviously, very highly scrutinized, but it's it's a really pressure a pressure cooker environment. So, um, sad to see him struggling with that, and sad to see the family have have had to deal with that. On the flip side of that, look, there was a reason that it did happen, and I think that's probably what was lost in all this. Is that like we, we think about what's come this week? So, the I think that case has begun. Um, the the WRU case and the and the RFU case has has begun, and, and he's got a problem with his tackle technique. Nothing with his personality, but he's got a problem with his tackle technique and it's careless. So there is two sides to this, Will. I think, you know, they were having a go at media about this, but, um, you know, we have to remember, like, you know, you're an England captain as well. You, you do have a bit of a responsibility and not to climb in again, but that, 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 was, that was what caused all this, is that he's a little bit careless with other people's health um, in, in a game that is very tough as it is. So, um, you know, there's, there's, there are two sides to this. Uh, the important thing, though, I would say is that um, you know, he is okay and that he has family around him that, you know, he, he gets himself and whoever's, you know, whoever at home is struggling a bit back to, 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 to full mental health, let's call it. I'm not sure. I'm sure there's a better way of phrasing that. Um, but, you know, Mark McCall and these guys kind of having a go at media. There, there was a reason why, um, you know, people were, were getting angry about, you know, his behavior on the pitch. Um, so, you know, there, there are two sides that obviously we're, there's, there's, you know, it's awful that Owen is feeling the way he's feeling. But I think that's probably a there's a there's a couple of sides to that as I've as I've, as I've explained is that the accessibility that everyone has here and, and the kind of media pylons uh, you know the pylons that happen on social media now um, that's something that's kind of new to people but you know you, the, the social media side of things will it's 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 
I just don't see the value in players being on it. I really don't. Funny thing is, though, I, I listened to another English podcast, the one with James, James Haskell. They had a, a big brand specialist on talking about, you know, who are the next superstars of, of rugby, and and like they had, I can't remember his name, but he he was from one of the big um, kind of pure agencies in the UK, and he was like, he actually talked about Farrell, and he said like he's not really putting himself into that sphere. He's not like see Khaleesi, and to get into that sphere, you have to be using social media to, to if you want to be. A, a star who transcends the sport and you want to make the kind of money that you could make across a career, you, you do need to be in that space, but you need to regulate it. I think where rugby needs to improve probably, and like Farrell is quite introverted and doesn't like doing media and they made him England captain, which means he has to do media every week and he has to go to Six Nations launches and stuff. And look, the honour is the honour, but it comes with a certain amount of, of obligations and responsibilities. And, you know, I would have been in Lions pressers with him and, and, um, couple of England ones as well he doesn't like it he doesn't really engage he doesn't give you that and you know not that he's like you know there, there is a bit of a relationship building there as well if if you want the media certainly the traditional media to be on your side like you, there is a bit of give and take there as well which I think unions and clubs could prepare players better for um, in that regard and I think the Irish system although like they were criticised by that podcast about Irish players have no profile really beyond Sexton, like that. That the the young players outside of Ireland don't really transcend, even though they're like one of the best teams in the world. I do think this young generation, like the Caelan Dorises, the Jack Crowley, I interviewed him recently. Like you know, has a really good, um, like they're both they're all Dan Sheehan, good talkers who are well able to tell their story. Like they're that you have to want to do it. Some players don't at all, but to put someone in the position, someone who doesn't like media, to make them the captain. Well, that's difficult because you're going to have to do a lot of media as captain, and you're front, you're, you're fronting up, and you sometimes will have to answer hard questions. So there's a there's a few different strands to it, but um, like that's probably the old fashioned way of looking at it. Whereas like even if you're even if you're not, you still have a phone where you can just open it and just get torrents of abuse if if you you know made a mistake in a game. Yeah, I remember Jacob Stockdale saying when he was going through a bad patch of form that he would come. I don't know why he felt the need to do this, but he would like look up his name on Twitter after matches, and obviously he was getting like reams of abuse and found it very tough and. I agree with with like Luke that like you know Owen Farrell got some high profile red cards like that was obviously gonna that's that's going to be commented on and it's going to be analyzed but it's it's getting like you know tens of thousands of abusive messages off the back of that on social media and your family members getting that as well like that there are major differences for me in terms of people on a podcast debating whether you've a bad technical technique and someone you know giving you really like nasty abuse on social media they're not the same things at all I don't think and Rod I know you have to head off now just very quickly prediction who's gonna win the Champions Cup. Uh, like Leinster I'm going to go with Leinster there's I still think the strongest squad they have I mean they've got heaps of calls they um, if they win at the weekend they've got a pretty nice route to getting very high seeding which keeps them in Dublin for the knockouts and obviously London's not too far away it's not like they have to go to France for a final like they did in Marseille you know, they'll get a lot of people over to the Spurs Stadium um, in May if they can get there so look there's a World Cup hangover there obviously there's a bit of a question around 10 um, there's a question about how quickly they, they can integrate Jack Nienaber, but maybe a bit of suffering around this time of the year might help them when it comes to the knockouts in a couple of months' time. There's a Six Nations to navigate. They lose Tyke Furlong. This is a different conversation. So like, there's still a couple of question marks. They're not perfect, but they still remain the strongest team on paper. And I think La Rochelle going three in a row is so hard. Only Toulon have done it, I think. So that's a really tough ask. Um Toulouse are just, you know, like they were so far off Leinster last year and, and they've lost a few bodies. And I genuinely think Munster have a, a good shot at getting through the knockouts. I'm not sure they have the, the tight five or certainly the front row to win it, 
if they come up against La Rochelle or, or something like that. But if they get them at home, and if Leinster do them a favour this week and knock La Rochelle into a kind of a tougher route through it, and someone could take them out in the knockouts, you're um, you could see you know if they get a good run in it, they they could they could go far. But like Leinster, I still think are the class in this field, but they've got to show it this year. This this they one. Heineken Cup in 10 years or whatever it's called now in 10 years for that province is not enough um, and losing three finals out of five years is a pretty poor return for a group of players who really should have a couple of you know, whatever the stars in the jersey but should have a few medals in their back pockets and you've got likes of Dan Sheehan Caelan Doris Hugh O'Keenan have never won a Heineken Cup so they've won Grand Slams with Ireland but they haven't added to Leinster's legacy in the way that they, they would have wanted to and if you want to be considered you know if you want to like if you've grown up watching Luke and, and his teammates and even the 2018 team winning a, 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 a European Cup then you want to add to that so they're, they're unfulfilled I think as Leinster players at this point so um, they are in my book the best team in it and, and, and should win it but can they? That's the big question you, you guys can debate it once I've gone I've got to talk to Ihio West so keep an eye on the, the site for an interview with him but he's, he's ringing me any minute now so um, i to see what he thinks of Ron Nogari he's back at he kicked La Rochelle to, to victory two years ago. Then went to Toulon, won the Challenge Cup, and now he's back. So, um, And then we're off to talk to Jacqueline Amber. So I have an interesting day ahead. Busy man, Rod. Thanks for joining us. Cheers, lads. Well, Luke, we'll give our predictions in just a minute, but just want to tidy up with a couple of other talking points. We actually got a message, and I think it was from Killian giving out that we didn't talk about Connacht last week. So I think we have to give them a bit of love now. And unfortunately, they lost to Leinster. And like, obviously, we touched on the game earlier for Ali's try briefly, but... Uh, I feel like only Connacht lose games sometimes in that in that kind of agonizing fashion, like a crooked throw on the halfway line when you just yeah. you're, you're you're on the verge of winning after scoring three unbelievable tries, and then obviously Leinster, you know, hit them with the sucker punch at the end. But you know they're going in on Friday night hosting Bordeaux. We don't know what team Bordeaux might pick. They could maybe rest some key guys, but I wouldn't be surprised if Connacht, you know, maybe not went on a run like Munster. But the, the tries they're scoring, the rugby they're playing at the moment, especially at home, like I think they're going to be a real handful for anyone. Yeah, no, and I think when they have the full complement as well, you know, Bundy makes a big difference to them, doesn't he? Mm. Um, you know, and, uh, you know, you saw the difference Mac Hansen made. I mean, God, he's... I just did not see him turning into the player he's turning into, you know. He's he's special, you know. He really is a special player. I love watching him play. He's got beautiful skills, you know, his kicking game, but his passing game too. I mean, really, really snazzy. Um, and looks strong. He's got... I think he's become a way better athlete as well over, over his time in Ireland. He looks quicker and stronger, so... Um, I mean, international rugby has really helped him, and he's a real leader in that team now. I think. Um, so yeah, look, I think they've you know they've added well. I thought Hawkshaw was decent as well. You know, I think yeah. um, like JJ. I mean, it was a bad tackle he missed, but um, you know that that was a real soft try. But Leinster have been pressurising uh, them for a while. I mean, it was someone was bound to miss one. I think if they kept down there, um, but he'd be disappointed with that. But I think he's a better addition to them as well. Um, and they look pretty good in the pack, don't they? I mean, I thought they were very good over the ball at times. Really frustrated Leinster. Anytime Leinster... Your man Hurley Langton the set, is just oh, like... Nightmare. Nightmare. Where did he come get from? Where did this man come from? Like, Yeah, yeah. He was really, really good. He looks big and strong too, doesn't yeah. he? He's fiery as well. I, I like him a lot as a player. So, yeah, look, I think um, they've got a strong scrum as well, haven't they? I mean, I think they... they you know, I, I don't think that'll be an issue for them. Um, but the line-out, the line-out was a complete mess, Will. Um, so I think that's something that they'll have to get sorted if they do want to go far in the competition. I don't think they can give up that much primary possession um, against any team. But look, the positive for them is that they nearly beat Leinster without any, pretty much any line-out ball for the whole game. So um, yeah, I think they're, they're, they're an impressive outfit. I'm really pleased that they've kind of, they look like they've, 
kept the momentum from the friend era so far. Um, and I think they've got enough quality to trouble any team. I think the the issue for them possibly is when they go into their bench will, you know, against the bigger teams. But um, no one will want to go to, to the sports ground. It's a difficult place to go and play. Um, and I think the faster pitch really suits Connacht. I think they are really, really tough to handle down there. And they've lots of players, even in the pack, they look... It's the first time I really looked at a, at a Connacht pack where I thought, hmm, they're really playing, like their ball playing is really, really excellent, I think, in, in, in there. And they're able to release the danger guys behind the scrum. Um, so, yeah, really, really pleased for them. And uh, yeah, I'd love to see them have a good showing this year. Yeah, like they have Saracens away second match. So they kind of have to win. It's like a must win game on Friday night. I know it's their opening game and theoretically they could battle their way back in, but they, they really do need to win just given their, their draw. And you great need to be Bundy. a bit stingier defensively, Will. That is yeah. one thing. You do need to be a little bit stingier. Like four tries for Leinster. And I didn't think Leinster were playing great. And Leinster could have got one or two more, I thought, as well. The, I just don't want to go all... That is an area. That and the line-out need to be sorted pretty quickly. Sorry to, to interrupt no, you there, but I just... Especially because Bordeaux bring their A, their a game, their big guns, like Demi and Penno and Louis, Billy Beret on the two wings, Chalabert 10. Like, they do have a very slick attack. If Now, if they actually bring those guys, I, I have a sneaking suspicion they might leave some of them at home because I think, looking up earlier, that, they've, that those three guys have played the last three or four weekends in a row. So this could be the ideal kind of classic French. Oh, we'll give the lads a weekend off and send over... Kind of a and half an escort. They might have the gloves on, Will. <laughs> the <laughs> no, well, definitely. The it's got to be freezing in the sports ground uh, at this time of year. Yeah. And, I, you know, Ulster's, like, start away to Bath. And, obviously, they had a very disappointing defeat uh, at home to Edinburgh at the weekend. Like, they have Bath, Harlequins, Toulouse, and Racing as their four matches. In a quirk, they have the two French teams at home, which I, have the, I think you'd almost rather one English team at home to give yourself a, maybe a safer opportunity of getting a win. I actually wouldn't be surprised if they lost all four of those games. I, I don't think they're in a good place. I was very disappointed. Like, I got to see like the second half. So they were leading at halftime, I think, and I, I saw the second half and they were very poor against Edinburgh. I think it'll be a tough campaign for them. They started away to bat on Saturday. Yeah, and they've been really patchy, haven't they? I mean, it's been a consistent thing. Uh, with this Ulster team is that they've been inconsistent, isn't it? Like you get one week where you're kind of going, oh, well, maybe they've turned this thing around. And then another week, you just, I don't know. I mean, it's very, very difficult to know what you're going to get from this team. And look, they've kind of been injury, injury ravaged to a certain extent, haven't they, over the last couple of years? They seem to get key guys out for, for long periods of time. Um, so yeah, I just don't know. I really don't know what to make of Ulster. And I just think that's just not... On, on that basis, the inconsistency basis, I, I can't say that they'll go far in the competition. I can't see them progressing or being a meaningful threat to anyone. I just don't think they have enough in the tank at the moment that you trust them uh, on, on a week-to-week basis over the course of the whole competition, you know? So, um, yeah, it's it's difficult times up in Ulster, isn't it? I, I just don't know what the fix is for them. Um, I know they need to be more consistent, but I just don't know. It seems like it's everywhere. One week, their, their attack seems to be stuttering. The next week, it seems to be defensively kind of leaky. Um, and I just don't know what what, you're, what I'm going to get from them. So, um, yeah, it's I feel for, for McFarland, but I also feel like maybe, you know, he has some thinking to do about why they're not consistent. Like, what's happening up there, um, aside from the injuries that they need to... Or maybe it is the injuries. Maybe it's the way they're training, why, that they're getting kind of injuries, or, or they're, they're tired or something. So, there's some thinking required there about what how, how to move forward and, and, and how to get the club to the next level. You still see they have some pulling power with Kitsoff and these guys coming in, you know, for Mullen. They have pulling power. They can get the players in, but, you know, it's the rest of the group. Like, what's what's stopping them making the transition to the next phase um, is what I'd be concerned about in, in Ulster. Yeah, because it's only 18 months ago that 
They absolutely hammered Munster and Johan van Grand's last game in the URC quarterfinal. Then Leinster were beaten on a Friday night and Ulster had the Stormers in the Stormers, to be fair, to win to get a home final in a URC. And it looked, they conceded a try at the last play of the game and lost. And the wheels have just come off since then. At the time, Ulster were probably the second best province. And now they're fourth, probably. And I, like, I know they, I, they, I think, like, they, you know, they almost beat Connacht and they played pretty well, but like, I think I, I yeah, but they the lost to them at home last year in the key yeah. one. Like so, no, yeah. I think you're dead right. I think you're 100 percent right. They're yeah. the fourth at the moment. Definitely, I think that's completely fair to say. Which from where they were, like there was a period where it looked like they were primed to make a breakthrough trophy wise. Now I think they're light years away from winning a trophy, and they're probably struggling to get out of the group here and to get into the. They'll probably get a knockout, you know, place in the URC because like you know the Welsh teams aren't really you know up to much, and you know, but. Yeah, I, I do struggle to see them getting out of the group. Connacht, I think, actually have a fair chance of getting out if they win their two home games. And you know, we kind of touched on the Leinster and Munster, uh, you know, their opportunities earlier. Just kind of before we wrap up, like uh, obviously we talk, we'll, we'll finish with predictions of the of the tournament as a whole. But just in terms of Sunday, obviously we haven't seen the teams yet. But that Leinster La Rochelle game, like Munster, are massive favourites against Bayonne, so I think everyone expects them to win. And we touched on the Ulster and Connacht games. Do you think Leinster go to La Rochelle and win? Full house to Stade Marcel de Flandre, given how they've played recently, or or, or you think it, <laughs> I I I I'm dreading this question because I don't know. I really don't. I don't think they will. I don't think they will. I think La Rochelle have their number a little bit. Um, French teams at home as well. Um, they'd be really buzzing for this one. I know they haven't got off to a great start, but Leinster haven't got off to a good start either. Will um, look the big guns have come back in, so it's hard to know if you get a big bump next week. You know, in in performance levels, but. Um, I, I don't see them having really... I think that, that that match is still unbelievably tight between both teams. I think La Rochelle have an edge mentally over Leinster. Um, I thought Leinster... I repeat myself, but they just looked... They were so they were wound so tight. Couldn't have got off to a better start against La Rochelle. But they just kind of emptied the tank in the first 25 minutes of that game, Will. Um, and I think they still are figuring out what to do with their bench. Um, and I think defensively, they're still a little leaky too. So I, I just, just feel like... I feel like La Rochelle just are the perfect team. They're built perfectly to just kind of foil Leinster. And I, and I, my mind hasn't changed on that one. I nearly feel like Leinster need to avoid La Rochelle to, to win the, 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 Heineken, the Heineken Cup. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm worried about it. I, I, like, on paper, I still think Leinster should win it. But I just think there's question marks over 10. I think defensively, Ninabar has to have a big impact there. I hope he does. If he does that, that'll help as well. But can they deal with the weight of that La Rochelle pack? I just haven't seen evidence that they can do that yet. And can they be calm against them in the big moments? They just, they lost the heads. They lost the heads, uh, you know, a couple of times in a row because I think they did. They can beat them. They're well capable, but they just haven't been able to do it at the key moments. So if you're saying you don't think Leinster will win on Sunday, like, do you still think they can win the tournament if they do lose? Because obviously the last few years, you know, they haven't won it, but their path to the final has been paved by getting those big wins in the pool stages, getting those home knockout games. It makes such a difference. So if they lose to La Rochelle, they're probably looking at at least one big away fixture if they were in France, probably if they want to go on and get back to the final. Do you think, can they still do that? Do you think if they lose kind of, especially given the mental hammer blow it would be to lose again to your biggest rivals? Yeah, no, it's it's concerning enough. The, the short answer to that is yes, I think they can do it. I think they might need to do that. That might be the thing that spurs them on, Will, um, is that they have to go the, 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 the tricky route. I have to say, I see La Rochelle edging it on the weekend. I don't think either team have played well. I haven't seen, obviously, La Rochelle this season. Just haven't watched uh, top 14, but they've been a bit muddled from what I've heard. I think they'll rise to the occasion against Leinster at home. I think they'll be a bit more settled and, and they'll know 
at that key ten position, they'll know who their guy is and who's the who's the person to bring them forward. Um, I think Leinster have struggled a little bit, you know, uh, mentally against La Rochelle. They just seem to have a little bit of an edge on Leinster. I thought they were wound way too tight in that final last year and couldn't keep up that pace and really kind of collapsed for the middle portion of the game. Um, and I think that. Um, you know, Leinster's defence still, like, the reason I say they might be able to win the competition later on, Will, is that I think Nina Barra, hopefully, if he has the impact that we all think he can or hope he can, as, as you know, if you're a Leinster supporter, uh, on the defence, he could turn things around for them in that aspect, Will, but he hasn't had enough time to do that yet. So I could see them losing this one and possibly going and winning later on in the competition. But at this juncture, they haven't played well enough. There's maybe a little bit of World Cup hangover there too. Um, and I think the uncertainty at 10 just leads me to think that La Rochelle might have a little bit of an edge on them at this point and home advantage in France is still big so um, hoping for a Leinster win not expecting one it's funny like if Leinster do go and win this weekend it'll be like oh Nienaber what a genius he's like he's been there for about 30 seconds but he'll probably still <laughs> Stuart Lancaster will be watching that they'll be like oh Nienaber is so much better than Lancaster it's like I was there for 7 years he was there for about 7 minutes but <laughs> I, I, you know, I actually do fancy Leinster it's not really based on I agree with everything you said, like uh, in terms of the trickiness of going to France, the threat that La Rochelle posed. I just think that the mental battle will be slightly different in that it's not a knockout final. The pressure won't be on Leinster quite as much as you said. They can lose and still progress, and I think that might free them up slightly. That like the the, the, the kind of the prospect of failure, I think, loomed really large in, in those knockout defeats over the years. I think that did cause them to tighten up at key at key moments. I don't think that exists quite to the same degree this weekend. And I think that could be enough to get them over the line, potentially. You know, if they don't do it, they still have a pretty good path to get to the knockouts. As I said at the start, like, La Rochelle have to go to Cape Town six days later and play the Stormers. And they also have to go to Sale away later in the tournament, which is a tricky enough away fixture. So for La Rochelle, it's a huge game. I actually think Leinster might beat them and put La Rochelle on a difficult path. I'm actually predicting a Leinster-Munster Champions Cup final. I think we could... Oh, yeah, I love it. I, I just, looking at the Munster, the Munster route, and what the kind of the bearing Sunday could have of pushing either Leinster or La Rochelle into a different path of the draw. Toulouse without DuPont and Entomac potentially for a knockout stage. I think that really frees up. Like, I think Munster are probably the best of the rest outside of the top three or, or close to it. So I actually wouldn't be surprised if they went on a decent run. Toulouse, Toulouse should be better, no? But without DuPont and without Intermac, if DuPont is playing sevens, I just feel like that they are major, major losses for them. It's not like mm. France where they can plug in like Jalabert and they yeah, can yeah, plug Jalibert in. Like, and, yeah, yeah, they yeah, yeah, can yeah, pick yeah, Ramos yeah, about yeah. half, but then they're robbing him from full back where he's very, very assured. The Toulouse sub-scrum half is pretty average from what I've seen. I didn't think he played well against Leinster when he came in in the semi-final last year. I just think if Munster can take care of business in the pool stage, get teams to Tom and Park in the knockout stage, we could have Munster-Leinster in Spurs Stadium uh, next May, which would be an absolute... Oh, how good would that be? Unbelievable. But, God, I hope I, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so do I. An all-Irish final. Let's, we, we got it with Leinster, Ulster and Twickenham, but I feel like Leinster, Munster in, uh, in, in Spurs Stadium would be uh, on another level even. But uh, look, it's set up to be an unbelievable weekend. Obviously, a couple of good matches to kick us off and then it'll be a very interesting couple of months as we see if if an Irish team can, can win back the Champions Cup. But for now, I'd like to thank Luke for joining me and Rudd for joining me earlier. We'll be back later in the week with a podcast looking ahead to the weekend's action and digesting the team news ahead of the weekend but for now you can subscribe to us on Spotify Apple Podcasts or listen on independent.ie so until next time thanks for listening and goodbye